and before I had time to change it. Ah, yes. Hello, and welcome to the Jib. Uh, this bi-weekly podcast is about the many and varied schemes of the many and varied... You know what? We've been doing this for how many uh, podcasts now, and I still have to read the intro off the top of the account. Just to, what was it? This bi-weekly podcast is about the many and varied schemes of the many and varied US law enforcement and intelligence agencies, organizations, and committees, and how they are stupid and funny. Join us on our merry journey to space and time. Hi, my name is Barry, and you might know me as that funny smell in the kitchen you haven't been able to track down. You need to get out of there, Barry. I'm just saying. Yeah, sorry. It's just yeah, I don't need to have some time, yeah. Hi, everybody. You may uh, I'm, you may know me. Uh, I'm Seamus, by the way. <laughs> you may know me. You may know me as Patient Zero. Patient Zero. Okay. <laughs> that ties in nicely with uh, the last podcast uh, <laughs> intro, doesn't it? Maybe. Maybe. We're not here to talk about your uh, sexually transmitted diseases. We're Why here... do you assume that? Why are you assuming? Jeez. How would I get away with that? No, okay. But I'd slide that under the radar. No, all right. Um, but we're not here to discuss uh, that. We're here to talk about uh, Operation Ajax. Oh, yes. Speaking of cleaning. Yeah. And we're going to open the presentation, the lecture, the oh. educational presentation with a twingle from Donald Tringle. Donald Tringle. Right. And it says big protests in Iran. The people are finally getting wise as to how their money and wealth is being stolen and squandered on terrorism. Looks like they will not take it any longer. The USA is watching very closely for human rights violations of all the people. Yes, so that's those that he he wrote that on the thirty first of December, twenty seventeen. Right now, this is about Iran, and this is about Operation Ajax, which is a very specific thing the CIA did in Iran. I had to cut out a load of stuff because the history of Iran is fascinating, and everything that happened since Operation Ajax is also fascinating. But I didn't say anything about that either. I tried to narrow it down, and that's what we're going to do. Here we go. In ancient times. Okay, if this was a Hollywood movie, it'd just be like a desert scene and some woman caterwauling in the background, right? In ancient times, Iran was Persia, uh, which appears a few times in the Old Testament and famously gave the Greeks some trouble. Again, I'm cutting a lot out. Uh, centuries later, it was colonized. <laughs> I almost said colorized. Centuries later, it was colonized by Arabs, and they were a big part of the Islamic Golden Age. Uh, the Iranians, I mean, were a big part of the Islamic Golden Age, what in Europe we call the Dark Ages. In the 1500s, all of Iran was forcibly converted from Sunni to Shia for political reasons, not because of religious stuff. And Iran is now the only Shia country in the world, really. There's Shias all over the place, but they're really the heartland of Shia Islam is Iran. Uh, all the other Muslim countries are Sunni. That's nothing to do with the operation or anything, but it's just, I just thought it's interesting. For the ensuing centuries, uh, there were many wars between Iran and the Ottoman Empire. Now, this runs up to the Great Game, which we discussed during Afghanistan episode Operation Cyclone, right? The Great Game is the whimsical name historians give for the struggle between Britain and Russia in the 1800s for control of the Middle East, mainly Afghanistan and Iran and the, right? Whimsical, right? The Great it Game, just, they call it. Yeah, it just cracks me up because, like, I don't yeah. know, you're, you spent a little bit of time over here. Um, yeah. So they have this thing. You know what the NFL is, right? It's uh, the Football League. Right. So yes. the non-soccer league for those, you know, yes. here. Hand egg, um, yeah, yeah, hand egg, yeah, sure. Uh, so they always have these like NFL films, and it's the the gridiron gridiron wars. They always yeah. have these like real dramatic music in the background, yeah, and, and and they like do the replays of the of the of the games and the slow motion, yeah. you know, replays and it, you know the the battle of the frozen yes. tundra, 
You know, this is like a great game. You know, like yeah, I'm hearing like the NFL music in the background of my head. Well, that Noam, Chomsky, Noam Chomsky said that um, popular sports are a proxy for war. Yeah. 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 And people, people show up to cheer their teams as much as they would for a war. They're better off because uh, nobody gets killed, at least not immediately. Yeah. Um, sure. But the great game is just what they call it, the great game. And the great game has its own Wikipedia page. And if you're interested in it, please look it up. The Wikipedia page for the great game is hilarious and interesting. Um, but it's nothing to do with the CIA, so I don't talk about it that much. Bummer. But anyway, uh, they were. This is Britain and Russia were fighting each other, not really directly, but they were fighting for control of the Middle East in all through the 1800s, and that's called the Great Game. Would that uh, be Russia called, invaded. Would that be what? called proxy wars? Were they involved uh, in such a thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. Except, except they were directly like in there. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, proxy. I guess. Yeah. Um, Russia invaded Iran twice during this period in 1804 and 1826. Uh, this competition between Russia and Britain continued right through World War One and eventually led to the instatement of uh, Reza, his name is Reza Pahlavi, as Shah of Iran in 1925. Um, now, this is a little bit that's not directly relevant either, but it's incredibly interesting, so you're going to hear it whether you like it or not. In 1936, the fascist Shah passed a law called Kafshesh Hijab. Kaf Kashfe hijab, banning all Islamic veils, right? He banned all Islamic veils. This was part of a larger effort to westernize the country. Police officers beat women, tore their headscarves and chadors, chadors the longer thing, and forcibly searched their homes. 47 years later, in 1983, the theocratic Ayatollah Khomeini passed a law which made Islamic veils mandatory for all women. Women who violate that law can be jailed or fined for appearing in public without the hijab, and worse things can happen, as you as you know if you follow the news. Oh, yeah. The two patriarchal Iranian governments managed to come to completely opposite conclusions about the hijab, and they somehow managed to both completely remove the agency of Iranian women while they were doing it. How about that? Shocking. You mean Shocking, that there's right? some sort of misogyny going on? Yes. Back in this time? Some sort of no. misogyny. It's not about the hijab at all. This hijab stuff is not about hijab at all. It's about controlling women, right? Exactly. You ban all hijabs, women get fucked. You make them all wear the hijab, women get fucked. Women get fucked no matter what, and not in the nice yep. way. Anyway, that's just a bit of interesting information. <laughs> yeah. During World War II, as you are aware, Britain and the Soviet Union managed to see past their differences and united in a joint invasion of Iran called Operation Countenance, the stated purpose of which was to secure supply lines of fuel for the war. Why did During they go with that name? I have no idea. I did very little research on Operation Countenance. Okay. Countenance just means okay. face, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah. That's, that's odd. Just an odd uh, yeah. 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 This is all pre-CIA. During this invasion, the Shah was exiled, and his son, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, became the Shah. That is Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. How you doing, bud? Um, after World War II, the USSR has a... Whoa, 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 whoa. We're, yeah. we're not going to comment on this photo at all. He's got a very Marshall Zukov look about him, doesn't he? Yeah, he the, does. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's like that fucking guy from Australia we did. Uh, yeah. With all the fucking medals and shit. The English, uh, the, the Queen's representative, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. 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 So well, did this I'm, guy I'm actually... Get, I don't know if you saw combat. Of, How many of those yeah, were so, awarded to himself, do you think? I probably ninety percent, right? Mm, I don't know if he saw any yeah. combat. Yeah, a lot of these guys they, they always you know saw like paintings of Napoleon and they're like, Oh, I, I gotta dress up like that. Mm, but Napoleon was in combat. Yeah, yeah, you say what you want about Napoleon, he was legit as far as I Yeah, he showed up to the yeah. front, like he might oh, yeah, have been there was. stabbing people, but he was definitely at the front. Oh yeah, I mean that's how he got a he got a huge reputation during you know, mm. the revolution. 
and yeah. is I mean, uh, I think I, I respect any journal that I can see so. from the front. If I'm fighting somebody, I look back and I can see the general with my eyes. That's close yeah. enough. Yeah. He doesn't have to get any closer in my, in my mind. Uh, this guy, on the other hand. After, uh, after World War II, the USSR and Britain agreed to leave Iran. As 1946 right. rolled on, however, it became right. clear that Stalin was not going anywhere, right? <laughs> in fact, he set up the Republic of Azerbaijan for some reason. It's his part of Iran was a huge his part of Iran was a huge chunk, and he called it the Republic of Azerbaijan. I don't know why. <laughs> on the part of yeah. Iran he was occupying. The first ever non-admin United Nations Security Council resolution, which resolution United Nations Security Council resolution one is let's have a meeting. United Nations uh, Security Council Resolution number two is that the USSR and Britain get cracking on this Iran difficulty. United, UN Security Council Resolution three, voted through in April 1946, explicitly orders the USSR out of Iran. So those are the first two real United Nations Security Council resolutions. It's uh, the like Russians whenever they agreed, it's like that they were like the, the cat and mouse in the cartoon that agreed that they're not going to eat each other. Or, or, yeah. or, or the cat and dog, rather, you know, and they're like, okay, um, right. Like a Mexican like mm. Yeah. But the, the, the Russians were not going anywhere. No. Uh, the Russians were they were staying there because, of course, because of the oil, right? Just in case. No. Um, in 1947, the US ambassador, who was a personal friend of Shah Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, that guy. Um, wait a minute. That guy, there we go. I'm pointing to the screen as if you were all looking at my screen. It's this relative yep. to you, of course. Correct. Personal friend of Shah Mohammad Reza Pahlavi complained bitterly and publicly about foreign governments leaning on Iran just to take their oil. Huh. You know, who would have thought... I'm to do the Chesh look. I'm not doing it properly. Um, <laughs> he promised that the US would support an autonomous Iran in whatever decisions they made about their oil, which is kind of important, right? He promised that the US would support an autonomous Iran in whatever sure. decisions they made about their oil. The Soviets withdrew after they received oil concessions, leaving control of oil, Iran's oil with the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. This company allotted 16% of its profits to Iran originally, which was raised to 20% after lots of hard negotiating in 1933. Um, now, okay, uh, I don't know, uh, there's no real segue into this, but we're going to do another top 10, all right? Uh, these are the top 10 US military bases surrounding Iran. <laughs> Straight in at number 10, Camp Lemonier is a United States Naval Expeditionary Base in Djibouti. Djibouti is on the eastern coast of Africa, just underneath Yemen, um, and it hosts the Combined Joint Task Force Horn of Africa Division of the U.S. Africa Command, U.S. AFRICOM. It is the only permanent U.S. military base in Africa. The 449th Air Expeditionary Group is permanently stationed there. At number sure nine, no problems there at all, right? Oh sure. yeah, if, if if Iran goes off, that's one of the bases they'll be using for sure for shizzle, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. At number nine, we have Ashgabat Airport in Turkmenistan, which serves wow. as a hub of logistical and tactical support for the U.S. Air Force. At number eight, we have Al Uday Air Base in Qatar, or as they say, Qatar, Qatar. <laughs> uh, it's the largest U.S. military base in the Middle East. It serves as a logistics command and basing hub for U.S. operations. While the main headquarters of CENTCOM is at MacDill Air, For Air Force Base in Florida, the forward headquarters has been at Al Udaid since 2009. At number seven, we have Delbandin Airport and Base, uh, and base uh, Samungli in Pakistan, which are often used by the U.S. military marines as a base of operations, and also it's used by the CIA. At number six, we have Camp... We're doing a tour all around Iran now, right? So do map it out in your head. At number six, we have Camp Arafian, uh, which is a U.S. Army base in Kuwait, uh, which is used by the U.S. Air Force, U.S. Navy, and the U.S. Marines. 
It is permanent host to the 3rd Infantry Division Sustainment Brigade, the 36th Sustainment Brigade Texas Army National Guard, and the 369th, 369th <laughs> Sustainment Brigade New York Army National Guard. More importantly, on base there is a Pizza Hut, three Subways, a Burger King, <laughs> a Pizza Inn, a Taco Bell, a Baskin Robbins, Panda Oriental, a Green Beans Coffee, two Starbucks, and a Chili's. Fucking A. Fucking A, yeah. Can't, can't, um, uh, can't embrace uh, freedom without capitalism. So. Well, apparently much of Kuwait is, is basically like a, an American town almost. Shocking. Um, at number five, we have in... I'm not sure how to pronounce this because it's Turkish. So, sure. in Sherlick. Inshirlik Air, Air Base, which is on the Sirius. Turkey is a long country, and yeah. Inshirlik Air Base is right on the uh, Sirius. Hey! Sorry. And Inshirlik Air, with Istanbul at this side, and Inshirlik Air Base is right on the Syria end, which means the Iran end of Turkey. Uh, they have a US Air Force complement of about 5,000 airmen, mostly from the 39th Air Base wing. Uh, there are also, <laughs> that's not the problem. Fully enough, 5,000 airmen yeah. is not the problem with Inshirlik. The problem with Inshirlik is that there's also up to 90 nuclear warheads on that yeah. base which are mostly B-61 nuclear bombs. Um, number four, we have Al-Harir Air Base in Iraq, which is known to host various airborne units of the Air Force Special Operations Command, the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, and the United States Army. Uh, at number three, we have Al-Dafra Air Base in the United Arab Emirates, which hosts the U.S. Air Force 380th Air Expeditionary Wing. This Air Force was, Air Base was only officially acknowledged by the U.S. in 2017. At number two... Uh, we have camps. So, what uh, was it before that? Just a police action? It was a couple of tents. Uh, no, they just, they just denied it exists. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what are you talking about? Airbase? Us? <laughs> um, number two is Camp Bering, or Bering, uh, which is a huge U.S. Army facility set deep in the Kuwait desert, Kuwait again, uh, that at any one time can have up to 14,000 soldiers passing through it. It's also host to at least 15 aviation brigades. It's massive, right? And number one is the Naval Support Activity Bahrain, or NSA Bahrain, which is a United States Navy base in the Bahrain, again, and is home to uh, U.S. Naval Forces Central Command and the United States Fifth Fleet. The entire Fifth Jesus Fleet is based Christ. there. Um, it provides tactical and logistical support to 31 U.S. warships, which are already deployed in the region, meaning this is not a war, but there, there's just 31 warships just sitting there anyway, um, and an undisclosed number of submarines. NSA Bahrain recently completed a $49 million construction of the Mina Salman Pier, increasing berthing capacity by 50%. So they're Jesus making some Christ. kind of plans, I guess. Yeah. And as always, our uh, top 10s always have a bonus round, don't they? Bonus! Bonus round! Fatality! Bonus! Uh, that question will be answered this Sunday at WWE WrestleMania SmackDown! Okay, uh, the bonus round is the Naval Support Facility Diego Garcia is a tiny atoll in the Indian Ocean and acts as a base for the 515th Air Mobility Operations Wing and the 36th Wing of the 11th Air Force, among others. Uh, the, wow. the, bonus, it's, the reason it's the bonus is because the native population of this little island was expelled forcibly in 1971 to allow for the construction of this base. And this base would be right underneath Iran, like in the Indian Ocean. So these, these, these bases are basically surrounding Iran. And if I was in Iran looking at the U.S. Army military bases surrounding it, I would be panicking, looking yeah. for nukes fast. And I would hit up every ex-Soviet state with loose nukes and hope to do some sort of James Bond scenario where I can just buy loose nukes off an ex-Soviet state if I was Iran. Not recommending, not telling you what to do, lads, but that's what I'd do if I was in charge. Anyway. You seem to be pro, uh, you know. Thermal global oh, sorry. Global yeah, just to explain, none of this should be taken to mean that Iran <laughs> is the good guys, right? 
<laughs> none of this. Iran is not the good guys. This is just what happened, right? Yeah. Iran at the moment is okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's our top ten. Yeah. Uh, in 1949, a national party was formed by Mohammad Mossadegh. That's Mohammad Mossadegh. Uh, that is a photo of the last known time he smiled. Uh, one of their aims was to get a fair oil deal for Iran. In 1950, the Iranians got wind of the 50-50 deal the, the Americans struck with the Saudis for their oil and they became restless. Yeah. It seemed like everyone was making more money from Iranian oil than Iran was. And it seemed like that because it was true. Uh, there were also problems with the working conditions in, in the uh, Iranian oil industry, which were described by the Iranian oil minister in the, he, that's not his name, but Iranian oil minister is what he was, in the following way, right? This is a quote. Wages were 50 cents a day. I guess in 1950, that wasn't a lot. There was no vacation pay, no sick leave, no disability compensation. The workers lived in a shanty town without running water or electricity. The mud in town was knee deep. And when the rains subsided, clouds of flies rose from the stagnant water to fill the nostrils. Summer was worse. The heat was sticky and unrelenting, yeah. while the wind and the sandstorm shipped off the desert hot as a blower. There was nothing, not a tea shop, not a bath, not a single tree. The tiled reflecting pool and shaded central square that were parts of every Iranian town were missing here. The unpaved alleyways were emporiums for rats. At this time, yeah, it was a company town, and not, yeah, exactly. not even run yeah. properly, yeah. Yeah. At this time, the overwhelming majority of Iranians were in favor of nationalizing the entire industry. Also during this whole episode, the Anglo-Iranian oil company refused to negotiate or deal with the Iranian government in any way. This included, this is the crucial thing, included providing evidence of profits or monies paid to the government. So although they were contractually obliged to pay a certain 20% of the profits to the Iranian government, they were not contractually obliged to show any evidence that they of their profits so the Iranian government could check the numbers. Wow. It doesn't make any sense, but that's just wow. the situation. Um, in March 1951, laws nationalizing the oil industry were passed almost unanimously by the Iranian parliament. And I'm not surprised. Britain reacted immediately by calling for global sanctions and blockaded Iranian ports. The rest of the world responded by refusing to buy Iranian oil. The only oil sold by Iran in the entire year after nationalization was 300 barrels. 300 barrels. This was down from 250 million barrels in 1950. It's insane. That's insane, so, yeah. In it's April, all, this is it's all the threat US... to, that's all a threat to independence, right? It's... Oh, absolutely. After the after the US ambassador promised ambassador promised them they could have autonomous decisions about their own yeah. resources. By April nineteen by April nineteen fifty one, the next month, Mossadegh was Prime Minister of Iran. Within the CIA and MI6, uh, it was panic fucking stations, if we're being honest, right? Churchill advised the CIA that Mossadegh was dependent on communist support and that therefore the country would fall to the Soviets. Mossadegh was also losing the support of the Ayatollah for more prosaic reasons, that he was very much in favor of the separation of church and state. Before this, he did have the support of the Communist Party, who were called Tuda, and uh, he had the support of the Ayatollah as well because of the situation. But then when things kind of panned out, he started losing the communists and he started losing the Ayatollah. But there was never any danger of a communist takeover. Again, the Iranian communists weren't really interested in Soviet anything, not at this stage anyway. Right, because, I mean, there's a lot of, still a lot of animosity between... Russian or yeah. at this point. So. Well, there would have been, yeah, yeah. several yeah. invasions, yeah. Uh, the British started a fairly low-level propaganda campaign using MI6 agents and their contacts and based at the embassy, but nothing really took. And when the British later spread rumors that Mossadegh was planning to exile the Shah, the Americans kicked into gear. The plan was, that's the plan. That is the actual CIA document on Operation Ajax 
that I found on Wikipedia. So it didn't. Wow. It's not. Uh, it's not like difficult to find or anything. That's exactly what it is. Um, the plan was for the CIA to put the Shah back in complete control. The Shah claims he initially refused because he felt the army and indeed the people would not support him. And then the CIA told him it would be easy enough to get rid of the Shah too. And then he agreed to the plan. Um, mm. In March 1953, Secretary of State John Foster Dulles, a returning champion, directed yeah, the CIA, yeah. which was run at the time run by his brother Alan Dulles, to deal with the Mossadegh problem. The man charged with the task was Kermit Roosevelt, which I love as a name. <laughs> Kermit Roosevelt. Kermit. Uh, he is, yes, Kermit Roosevelt. He yeah, went who to is he related to? He is, yeah, he's related to the Roosevelts. Which um, one, do you know? All, they're all related. Okay, I just didn't know, like, you know how how he is related if you know how he's related but he's definitely one of them okay. uh, and he's called kermit and apparently kermit is one of these historic names and a, a lot of them are called kermit in every generation that's crazy um, mm. he went to iran with one million dollars of agency money in his back pocket and engaged in a campaign of propaganda black ops false flag operations and a lot of bribery uh, the cia bribed prominent members of the tehran mafia including uh, two guys called icy ramadan and brainless Shaban to whip up ground opposition <laughs> to Master Dead. Okay, yeah. Wait a minute, slow down. <laughs> yeah. Icy Ramadan. Uh -huh. Icy Ramadan. Ramadan, by the way, in Arabic means, um, by the way, in Iran, they don't speak Arabic. They speak Persian or Farsi. Um, but I guess they'd have all these Arabic words. Ramadan sure. just means uh, hot, very hot. So they call the month hot. Ramadan because it's a really hot month. And then they all go fasting on that month, right? So he's icy called hot. Icy Ramadan is icy hot, yeah. And... Uh, so, so, he's a, so he's a pain. So he's, a, he's he's he literally treats arthritis. He relaxes the muscles. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All the way. Okay. Yeah. But he was a so mafia guy, organized organized crime guy in Tehran, right? Yeah. And the other guy's called Brainless Shaban. And Brainless Shaban is such a character that Brain, Brainless Shaban or Shaban the Brainless, he has his yeah. own Wikipedia page. If oh you want to look God. it up, Brainless yeah. Shaban. Yeah. But uh, see, it sounds like we. Yeah, it sounds like we segued into a fucking Scorsese film. Oh, if yeah, I was we, going to, if I was going to write. <laughs> A fictional James Bond thing about, say, and I had to make up members of an Islamic mafia. They would yeah. definitely be called Icy Ramadan and Brainless yeah. Shaban. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, but uh, the CIA bribed these guys, right, to whip up ground opposition to Mossadegh, and they did a very good job. They got people on the ground, fist fights, riots, all sorts of things organized by these guys. Uh, they also hired people to pretend to be members of the Communist Party, Tuda, and mm -hmm. make uh, trouble on the streets of Tehran. And then they hired other people to pretend to be supporters of the Shah to galvanize resistance to the first group of paid actors, right? And this is something now that um, still happens now, that you pay for no. to create trouble. I no. know. Uh, Putin's been doing that in the American no. political process. No, 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 Okay, no. all right. Wait a minute. You're saying that, like, Putin might be supporting the Democrats, too? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Republicans? Yeah. Yeah, he's trying to sow chaos. He's not trying to get Trump to win. He, the only reason he'd want Trump to win is because it's confusing and chaotic, not because he thinks uh, Trump is bad for America or anything. That's just he's just like it. a useful... Trump is just a useful idiot, is what you're saying. Yeah. Hmm. To Putin, to Americans, of course, he's exactly. not even a useful idiot. Um, fair, very fair. <laughs> by early August, the Shah felt confident enough to sack Mossadegh, but the Iranian public reacted with such extreme uh, antipathy that he had to reinstate him almost immediately. So the first attempt at a coup failed. Uh, Kermit Roosevelt and I would be George Steinbrenner uh, with uh, Billy Martin and the Yankees. Like, well, no, the same, uh, I didn't really. I didn't fire him. I just, you know, I put him in a yeah. different position. But he'll be back next spring. 
again. The same thing happened in Guatemala. Do you remember the first time they tried to get rid of our yeah. bands? Didn't take. Yeah. yeah. Another one. Yeah. yeah. The first attempt at a coup had failed. Kermit Roosevelt, and I will be using his full name throughout this, uh, wrote to Eisenhower telling him of the failure and that they probably have to snuggle up to Mossadegh now. The CIA asked their team on the ground to give up and leave. However, MI6 goes the legend. MI6 somehow intercepted these communications, and Kermit Roosevelt kept going with Operation Ajax. A few weeks later, the campaign was actually having an effect. People on the streets were afraid of a communist takeover, and the complete lack of oil export revenues was starting to bite. Protests turned violent, killing 300 people. Pro-Shah tank regiments shelled the prime minister's residence. That's when you know you're in trouble. Mossadegh yep. gave up and turned himself in. That's Mossadegh uh, on trial. Now, there's the face of a man who knows he's been stitched up, right? Yeah, yeah. He knows. He's like, I give my all. <laughs> I give of myself, right? Uh, the CIA the sent... Me <laughs> yeah, fucker is afoot. The CIA sent Major General Normal Schwarzkopf to persuade the Shah to return. With the help of Mossad, Schwarzkopf <laughs> also trained the brutal secret police that would become known as Savak to secure the Shah's power. Schwarzkopf uh, is the German and it means blackhead. Schwarzkopf's really? son, yeah, Schwartz is black and Kopf is head. If somebody's called Schwartz, it's just black. Ah. Um, like Jack Black would be Jack Schwartz. Uh, Schwarzkopf's son, also General Norman Schwarzkopf, uh, would be familiar to some of you as the commander of Western forces in Operation Desert Storm in Iraq in 1991. Yeah, he was called uh, Storm and Norman. Was he? Cool. And he didn't like that name. Well, who gives a shit? He really did not like that name. Fucking up the Middle East is exactly. a family business. We're yeah, amongst he, the Schwarzkopf's. Yeah, he, he said it because uh, he comes off as like a real elitist, you know, douchebag. Like, elitist? Uh, yeah, just real like, you know, full of himself and you know, just, mm. you know. Um, a lot of generals are like it, that. Patton was yeah, like that. Yes, he's very, very much like Patton. At least George mm. Scott's, you know. Uh, oh, that's a great movie. Him, right, yeah. That uh, is a great I, movie. To, what did he say something about that the... Uh, that uh, that nickname infers uh, somebody that has uh, that engages in reckless abandonment mm. and uh, is not very thoughtful. And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what you kind of did when you yeah. went, went in the the fucking you know Iraq and blew shit up. Fuck off. The German the generals always um, they're on a different level. You know, like my favorite thing oh, about yeah. Patton is uh, when he phones back. You know, after taking Berlin, and he goes, "You give me five days, and we can take Moscow." <laughs> And the president's like, no, no, we don't. I can do it. I have the Marines. I have the divisions. We can take Moscow in five days. Just sign here. Which is very close to what Douglas MacArthur said in Korea. Yes. He said, you yeah. give me five days and I can take... We are literally five days from Beijing. We okay, can take the, China in five fucking days. Give it's me a, real, a piece it's of a, paper. It's a real toss-up. Who was fucking crazier, Patton or MacArthur? You know? I mean, they're both fucking out of their fucking tits. I mean, MacArthur wanted to use WMDs. Huh? I don't think MacArthur was crazy. You don't think he was crazy when he used WMDs against China? That's not crazy. <laughs> no. I, I think because he, he did retreat the troops yeah. in Korea. Patton would never have done that. Patton was crazy. Yeah, I think they're both nuts. That's, that's my I don't know. I wouldn't call MacArthur yeah. crazy. Well, you you, read, you you saw what happened in the Philippines episode we did. None yeah. of that's crazy. He followed his orders and he did the right thing at the right time. I mean, from the U.S. Army point of view, not from the Filipinos' point of view. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I don't think that's crazy. No. He no, did no. use, but like that's lethal force, and he used it against Japan as well. But like, I wouldn't call that crazy. That's just what you'd expect from a general. Patton was crazy. 
You're much more generous than I. <laughs> you reckon? You reckon he's crazy? Oh, might be. I don't know. I, mean, I think they're both crazy. nuts. Cool. But, All know. right. Um, where did I stop? Oh Sorry. yeah. Mossadegh was sentenced to three years solitary confinement. Three years solitary confinement in a military jail while many torture. of his supporters. Yeah. That's torture. Many of his, yes. While many of his supporters uh, were also jailed, tortured, or executed. After his sentence, he remained under house arrest until his death in 1967. Now, this is a quote from Mossadegh during his trial, okay? Yes, my sin, my greater sin, and even my greatest sin, is that I nationalized Iran's oil and discarded the system of political and economic exploitation by the world's greatest empire. This at the cost to, he meant England, not America. This at the cost to myself, my family, and at the risk of losing my life, my honor, and my property. Wow. Well, never a truer word, right? Yep. Um, after the success of the second coup, uh, the Americans got what they wanted. The Shah was in power. The prime minister was West friendly. And more importantly, the oil was now being given to the Americans and the British. Many more oil companies were invited into the country to give the illusion of competition in a free market. However, oil revenues went through the roof as the British lifted their sanctions. Uh, by 1979, Iranians were so sick of the Shah and Savak, foreign control over Iran and the constant waves of strikes that they took to the streets. The Ayatollah Khomeini took over and Iran was turned into an Islamic theocratic state by a landslide referendum. The Iranian, you won't hear this, but the Iranians voted for that. Yeah. They wouldn't vote for it now, but at the time, <laughs> Just, yeah. the Shah had made such a terrible job of the country that they voted for the Ayatollah to fix it and to change the country and to make it a theocratic state. They were all in favor of it. Uh, it wasn't until 2013 that the US finally admitted the existence of Operation Ajax. And now at the end of our time here, we have another tweet from Donald Trump, this time from the 1st of January, 2018. The great Iranian people have been repressed for many years. They are hungry for food and for freedom. Along with human rights, the wealth of Iran is being looted. Time for change. Awesome. That is my presentation. And I believe oh, yeah. uh, we have- uh, You're acting all official. <laughs> yes, that is the end of the educational presentation. Yes. I hope if people had fun watching this, that's not the point. Okay, if people thought it was entertaining, I mean, you're kind of not, you're not doing it right. You're not listening correctly. All right, you're well, supposed to have I, sort of I, a sober I, understanding now. I think the important thing is that uh, you got to quote your hero twice at, at the beginning and the end of this episode. So that's what people are going to take away from this, right? Someone's going to chop it. Someone's going to do that clip thing they do on YouTube, you know? And it's going to be like me, but twitching like this. It's going to be, I love Donald Trump. <laughs> Keep playing it. Like you I just did, did it for him. Don't we I have love to Donald Trump. But I did it in such a, a way that's going to look edited. <laughs> Keep changing the pitch. Uh, all right. But that's not. Uh, now what we do is, I guess, we look at the news. What's in the news? What's in the news? What's new? Sorry. Uh, just before every podcast, I put CIA into Google, and Seamus puts FBI into Google, and we both hit the news tab. And then we pick two or three stories we think will be interesting or funny. And we haven't told each other what these stories are in advance, so we're hearing about them for the first time, <laughs> just like you, schlubs. Okay, uh, so tell me about your FBI links. Okay, so uh, this story is back in the news. Well, I think we did cover this one once before. The FBI being sued, uh, is it? Yeah, sort of. Witnesses uh, to FBI hunt for a Civil War gold described heavy Coins. armored trucks. Fantastic. Yep. The coin the coin story rolls on throughout our yeah, podcast. So this What's is the newest development? 
Penfield, PA. It's uh, not far from Pittsburgh. Um, so now there, there's more witnesses coming through saying there's armored cars going in and out, even though the FBI is claiming they didn't recover anything. Um, okay. And there's this uh, self-proclaimed uh, treasure hunter uh, that's trying to basically say that uh, the FBI has somehow recovered the Civil War era. Uh, okay. What's the FBI going to do with this? I don't know. They're just, just the Smithsonian, what, surely. And why are they even involved? It's just, it's just, just make any, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but there's documents uh, back in uh, 2019 uh, about this. That there's an underground metallic uh, mass weighing up to nine tons with the density of gold at the site identified by finders keepers. That's fun. Uh, okay. Did you say nine tons? Yeah, that's fucking a lot. <laughs> there's not nine tons of gold in the world. Yeah, that's uh, fuck there's the no Powerball. Way there's nine tons of gold <laughs> yeah, fuck the Powerball. I mean, just fucking roll up. The like if you if you field. had nine tons of gold, you wouldn't be able to sell it. It would immediately yeah. drop the price of gold worldwide by about fifty percent. At least. So is that why that they're seizing? Oh, they're just going to trickle it out bit by bit, like De Beers and their diamonds. Yeah, fuck who knows. So I don't know. It all sounds conspiracy, but this is from the AP. I'm reading this from the AP. So yeah, uh, you can you'll it's see it yourself. Keepers. They're yeah. they're immediately it's not for finding. Yeah, it's not for finding yeah. keepers. But mm. uh, the AP is reporting that it's it's on other sources too. But, oh okay. Uh, yeah, go check it out. Um, I guess we'll find out. So then we also have uh, the Justice Department and House Republicans are fighting over FBI was uh, witness testimonies. Uh, Basically, the Justice Department's telling uh, Elvis Chan, great name, uh, uh, FBI agent, uh, they're telling him that he's not allowed to testify or he shouldn't testify. His name is Elvis um, Chan, or that's the message board that he name. frequents. <laughs> exactly, right? Oh, okay. uh, he works, uh, yeah, he worked, uh, his work focused on cybersecurity and foreign influence on social media. So they want him to testify on that. Uh, but okay. apparently they're trying to push back. Uh, and then this one I just find interestingly timed. Um, inside the FBI's sudden search to solve violent crime on tribal lands. Okay. Talking about the FBI getting involved in uh, crimes that happened, you know, on reservations and stuff. Are they allowed? Do they have jurisdiction? I don't think so. I, you know, the only reason I brought this up is because you know, from the, you know, doing letter Peltier and yes. you know, the other stuff. FBI doesn't have a great history. In fact, they're usually the ones fucking committing the crimes, right? I um, feel like the Indians will not uh, cooperate. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. If they're uh, smart. <laughs> yeah, so I, I definitely want to, this might be, if it, if it turns into something, it might be a future episode. I don't know. Imagine uh, getting the phone call, though. Hi, yeah, this is the FBI. Uh, we're just like free Leonard Peltier. Sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, free exactly. Leonard Peltier. Yeah, but we're just uh, doing a bit of it. Free Leonard yeah. Peltier. Just keep saying that over and over yeah. again and see what happens, right? Yep. So that's all I got in the, the news. All right. Yep. I will tell you what I got with my CIA. The first one oh. uh, is German president to meet CIA chief during surprise trip to Washington. German president Frank Walter Ste Steinmeier walks uh, to receive on the day wrong 
sorry, that's just a that's a caption of the photo. This is the actual story. Uh, German President Frank Walter Steinmeier will meet CIA Director William Burns on Friday during a surprise trip to Washington to hold talks with Joe Biden. Now, the surprising thing here, if you've been uh, watching our podcast in the What's New segments, is that William Burns is in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. That's the surprise thing, because for the last five podcasts, he's been in China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, everywhere except where he's supposed yeah. to be. So that's the big surprise there. And apparently now he's going to meet the Germans. Uh, my second story is uh, a little less whimsical. On Tuesday, a CIA trainee who says she was sexually assaulted in a oh. stairwell at CIA headquarters in 2022 filed a lawsuit against the agency. The lawsuit alleges that the CIA repeatedly and improperly discouraged the female trainee from lodging a criminal complaint and engaged Shocking. in criminal witness tampering on behalf of her assailant, who was convicted of assault in August. Uh, and there's no way to be whimsical and jokey about that. So that's just no. a piece of the story is very interesting, though. If you want to read it, you should definitely check that out. I don't feel like making funny jokes about that, unfortunately. So no. that is the end of my links. Oh, wow. And I guess that's the end of our episode, is it? Yep, uh, this will be episode 20, so we're 20. Okay, well, thank you for joining us, and see us in two weeks, I guess. We are? We're going to be back in two weeks? You sure? No, I'm not sure of anything. I'm not sure I'm awake right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, uh, make sure you like, click, subscribe, tell your friends, yeah, tell your tell mom. Your friends. Tell your friends to tune in. Yeah. So, and then uh, we'll see you all again here in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Thank you.